Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 860. Don't sit on the sidelines. Whatever you're passionate about, dive in. Go be with those people. Go be where the events are and take in as much as you can because life is short and it's going to be over quick. So get what you can when you can. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Wayne Long. Hey, Wayne, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? You bet. Looking forward to it. Here we go. Wayne Long is a lifelong car guy whose love for cars started at the early age of two. He would accompany his family to the SCCA races to support his uncle, who raced a Bug-Eye Sprite and later a Fiat Oscar. As Wayne entered the teenage years, he quenched his thirst for competition by racing motocross, and by the time Wayne finished college, he started working as a civil engineer. He had switched from motorcycles to cars and began autocrossing. Wayne spent 21 years practicing engineering before he finally got his opportunity to enter into the automotive industry. Opening Mid-Atlanta Sports Cars 10 years ago, Wayne and his childhood friend Rick and David Biafora. Now, did I say that right, Biafora? That would be Biafora. Biafora. Okay, there we go. You bet. They were chasing their dreams. Since becoming a full-time automotive junkie, Wayne has become a regular on national auction circuits buying investment cars for his high-end clients. In addition, Wayne has become a Concord judge supporting events such as the Courtille at the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix, as well as the Hilton Head Concorde d'Elegance. So, Wayne, I've told our listeners a little bit about your journey through life into cars. Take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles. Well, Mark, you know, like everybody else, when you uh, are growing up, you you know what you like and you know what you'd like to do, but it's not always an easy path to get there. And for me, uh, my father was an engineer, so I picked the, the path of, of getting an engineering degree, knowing that that would provide me a good steady income and, and a steady job. But my passion has always been cars. So uh, as soon as the opportunity uh, became available for me to jump into that, I took the jump, as scary as it might have been, to leave the engineering world, which I uh, had done very successfully, and to enter into something that, even though I had knowledge, I had no practical experience of owning the dealership and and, uh, going from that standpoint. But uh, here we are today, 10 years later, after we opened Mid-Atlantic Sports Cars. I think things have gone very well. And um, embarking on uh, the new part of my life, which is to be the executive director of the Greenbrier Concord d'Elegance, which will be coming up in May, and uh, looking forward to the future. Absolutely. Well, you made it one of those big pivots in 10 years ago. You did it at a time right before chaos ensued in the financial world. So you survived those years that have really faced a lot of challenges with for a lot of people with uh, the recessionary period that happened and the downturn in the economy. So kudos to you and your team for what you've done. And we're going to learn a lot more about you and what you're doing as we continue through your journey. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Wayne, take the wheel. Holy cow. Well, this is the cheesiest thing you're ever going to hear, I think, on this (laughs) show. But my favorite 
quote comes from Dr. Phil. And uh, uh, that's an embarrassing thing to say uh, in some ways. Uh, no, no offense to Dr. Phil, but uh, his favorite saying is, how's that working for you? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world when you hear it. But as we all focus on trying to solve problems in business and in, in life, we keep saying to ourselves, well, I know that I'm right. And I did this, and it should have given me the result that I wanted, but it didn't. Right. And that's where the Dr. Phil thing comes in. Well, how's that working for you? I don't care how many times you did it. If it didn't get you the result you wanted, it's time to back up and come with another uh, another plan. Yeah. I often share that with my coworkers and, and with my family members, and we all chuckle because it's so cheesy. But in the end, it could not be more uh, appropriate for many many uh, problems that we face in life and in work. Well, yeah, and I know that quote, and it's funny because he, of course, says it to people with a bit of cynicism after they tell him how disastrous their life is going or something in their life is happening. So uh, it's a it's a great way to kind of step back and, and think, yeah, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right path? Maybe not. Maybe I need to change my approach into that corner so I stop hitting the wall every time I come out of that corner. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I like it. I like it very much. Well, would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? When I introduced you, I talked about you uh, falling in love with cars at the age of two. Now, you and I are probably in the same generation here, close to the same age bracket. So remembering back to being two, that's a long time ago. What was that pivotal moment in your life as you remember it when you knew you were a car guy? Well, of course, you know, growing up at the track, you're inundated with everything automotive. Uh, growing up in West Virginia, I guess it was a little bit odd that that uh, I was so sports car oriented. But when your uncle races sports cars and uh, your parents and and their friends are the founding members of the Mon Valley Sports Car Club, naturally sports cars were more my path. But uh, at the earliest age, I can remember whenever I would get a toy, I always wanted the automotive toy. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I never wanted the other stuff. I mean, that stuff didn't matter to me. Um, but the automotive toy... It always mattered to me. You know, so when you do that, it stands out. Uh, we had a little store downtown called Morgan's, and they had a matchbox display. And that matchbox, to me, that was the most important thing that uh, that, that was in that store. And we'd go in, and all my uh, brothers and my – or my brother and my sisters would look at bikes and look at everything else. Man, I ran straight to the Matchbox display every time. They were <laughs> yeah. 50 cents a piece at the time, so yep. it kind of tells our age. And it's very funny because, you know, uh, the, the Matchbox cars that I loved then uh, are, are real cars that I love today. So uh, it's definitely stayed with me. You know, you sent me a picture of you with a Ford GT, white with blue stripes. And when I saw that, I smiled. In fact, I think I sent you an email back about this. I, too, was a Matchbox fan. I still have the first one my dad ever bought me. It was a red Jaguar XKE. Wow. But another one that I have is a white Ford GT. And with blue stripes. And so whenever I see that Ford GT, I always think that's the color it should be, white with blue stripes, because I remember playing with mine as a little kid. Yes, like you, I would run to the hardware store with my dad and run up to that Matchbox display and just go, oh, which one can I have? And my dad was always nice enough to buy me one. So I've still got them all, too. Ah, memories. Well, 
Let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, Wayne, and talk about a big challenge or a big failure. You made a major pivot in life. You went from a, a life as an engineer, solid, comfortable living, secure, as secure as any living can be. And you said, I think I'm going to come to go do something completely radically different. That's a brave move. Maybe that's what you want to talk about. But I'd love for you to share how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your business and your life. Well, you know, when as an engineer, you spend your life typically working for someone else. Now, you can own your own consulting firm, certainly, but I typically was working for uh, a large firm, standard paycheck. To walk away from that and go into business for yourself, where the only way you get paid is if you make a profit, is a a very scary thing. You you made the comment earlier about 2008 when the market dropped. Uh, I'll share a little story because you know, everybody loves to share the stories about how much money you made and how great you, you know, how smart you are and what great decisions you made. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll go the other way. In 2007, late 2007, 2008, I bought a Ferrari 430 for resale. Mm-hmm. And boy, you know, I was so proud of myself. I, it was my first big purchase, you know, of a, a modern car. I had typically done things like little offices and whatnot, but this was the big time, you know, I'm, I'm buying a Ferrari 430. Yeah. So I buy the car, uh, the market crashes, and my partners and I at the time are looking at each other going, well, it's going down in value. You know, uh, we probably sell it. But on the flip side, it's like, well, we've got to retail out of it because otherwise we're going to lose money. Right. And uh, um, a good friend of mine, uh, a gentleman by the name of Eddie Karam, who uh, is a big wholesaler, probably the largest wholesaler of exotics in North America, if not the world. Eddie, every once in a while, will call me and say, hey, did you sell that 430? And be, no, I, I can't find anybody. He's going, what are you waiting for? You need to take your medicine. Take your loss. you got to lose 20 grand. Lose 20 grand. But you can't make any money until you reinvest that money that you have in that 430. Right. Okay? Well, being new to the business and with partners, we kept thinking we were going to retail out of it, retail out of it, retail out of it. Well, I'm here to tell you that $80,000 later, mm. that's how much I lost. I sold the car. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, the moments that you learn things. First of all, modern cars are depreciating assets. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't care how fancy they are. I don't care how cool they are. Unless it's ultra rare. And even if it is, it's going to take a while before it starts going up in value. Sure. Okay. Sure. So what have I learned? Well, I learned that if you're going to sell modern cars, you better be quick because they're going to go down fast. And the longer you hold on to it, the less margin you're playing with. And then number two, that's not really the business I'm in. That's not really what I know. That's not really what I do. So what you should do for me is shift gears. You buy modern cars for clients who ask you to help them. Okay, mm. You don't buy them for resale on your own. If you're going to buy for resale on your own, you're going to buy investment cars. These are cars that are going to hold their value or, if anything, they're going to go up in value. Okay, So that's really the business I'm in as far as the car business goes. Yeah. I'm here to help people buy investments that are fun, that they can look at. You know, they, they, These are people who are typically uh, diversifying their portfolio. They already own real estate. They already own stocks. 
you know, yeah. it, it is an example. I bought a customer a car, and I, I, you know, I'll leave the customer out of it because I want to talk about money. But I bought a customer a car, a Ferrari uh, two seventy five GTS. Okay, mm-hmm. and that car, when I bought it for that customer, we paid four hundred and twelve thousand dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. right. What's that car worth today? You know, one eight, maybe yeah. two million. Yeah, yeah. So that guy who spent four hundred thousand dollars thought at the time that you know, oh my gosh, you know, I'm really, really spending a lot of money. Yes. The reality of it is, it was just an investment. Yeah. And now, not only does he get to go out and look at the car, he gets to drive it once in a while, but he's on the upside a million five. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Awesome. So that's really what I do. Um, uh, the Ford GT that you saw the picture of, uh, I bought while I was out for Pebble Beach Week. I was fortunate enough to uh, take that car and drive it down to Big Sur for lunch one day, and uh, brought it back, put it on the truck, sent it to its, you know, to the customer that, that purchased it. Um, I have a good relationship with that customer, so he was more than happy for me to drive the car. Actually, he wanted me to, so that I could tell him if it needed anything. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's kind of where I'm at business-wise, and, and that's how I got where I am. So I was just going to add, I've always been involved in in, in uh, promoting. I was a national marketing engineer when I was in the engineering world. So that also forays into uh, wanting to do special events. So we'll talk a little bit about that later. Absolutely. Well, the takeaway I have from this story is define what your business is and stick to your knitting. Uh, and yes. if you have to, if you make a mistake, you're right. Take your medicine and move on as quick as possible because usually those mistakes just keep compounding and getting worse and worse. It's kind of like doing something wrong in the office and not going forward to your boss and saying, Hey, I really messed up here. The longer you let it sit and sizzle, the more it's going to burn. <laughs> and, uh, that's right. And so, uh, two great lessons that came out of that story. We'll talk about shifting gears. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's one of those times when you said, this is the direction I need to go, the path I need to drive down. So take us to your aha moment. Well, I, I was sitting in my office, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, retired West Virginia University football coach, Don Nealon, um, is a car guy. And so he often comes in. He was a friend of my father's before he passed away. And and so Don was sitting in my office, and we were chatting one morning, and he said, uh, yeah, he says, you know, tomorrow I'm going to uh, go down to the Green Bar to meet with Jim Justice, the owner of the Green Bar. He's decided to run for governor. He's asked me to help him with his campaign. And we chatted a little bit about that. And then I looked at him, and I said, you know, Don, I, I've had an idea for a long time, and that is to have a world-class Concorde d'Elegance at the Green Bar. And Don says, Wayne, I'm going to, I'm going to act stupid here. He says, but I don't know what a Concorde d'Elegance is. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I told him what it was and, and, uh, we went through all that and he goes, holy cow. He says, that sounds like the green bar would be the perfect venue. Mm. And I said, yeah, I, I really think it is. I said, you know, I've traveled all over, uh, to these events, uh, whether it's Pebble Beach or Manila Island, uh, I, I look at these and I say, you know, none of them have anything on the historic grounds of the Greenbrier. So he asked me to make him a little uh, outline, and uh, off he went. Really didn't expect much out of it. You know what I mean? I've never met Jim Justice at that point, right? And uh, don't know him, and and you know, he's a billionaire who doesn't know me. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, he's going to jump right on this. Uh, so <laughs> Coach Nealon took the document, went had his meeting with Jim. 
uh, afterwards, talked to Jim about my idea. He came back the next day and said, hey, I talked to Jim, and, and he said uh, that he thought the idea was very interesting. He'd like to talk to you about it, and he's going to give you a phone a phone call. And I'll be honest with you, I thought that was a polite push-off. Right. I never expected Jim himself to call me to talk about this. The guy's got like 130 companies. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I, I didn't expect that. Uh, the next day, the phone rang, and uh, it was Jim Justice, and uh, he introduced himself. I introduced myself, and uh, I can remember the next statement out of my mouth was, well, Mr. Justice, and he said, wait a minute, Wayne. He said, let's stop right here. He said, my name's Jim. <laughs> <laughs> he said, call me Jim. He's a Southwest Virginia boy. My yeah. name's Jim. There you go. And he said, call me Jim. We talked about the event. He was incredibly enthusiastic. He said, Wayne, if, if Don thinks you're the guy for this, I think I think you're the guy for this. I want to have a meeting. Nice. And that's how it all started. So wow. The uh, inaugural Greenbrier Concord Elegance, which will be May 4th through the 6th of 2018, all started right there that day in my office when I looked at Don Nealon and asked him to talk to Jim for me. Wow. The great thing about this story is share an idea with somebody and you never know where it may go. Holy cow, but that moved fast. Exactly right. Now, it started fast, but it hit the brakes because we were going to have that event this year. Right. Um, and I, I have to share this with you because it's crazy, you know, especially with the hurricanes and the fires oh, yeah. that we're facing right now. What happened was shortly after this, uh, we were going to have the PGA Tour event here at the Greenbrier. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is over a year ago. And um, we had planned on moving forward. We were going to have our event September 28th of this year. But what happened was two weeks before the PGA Tour event, we had a 100-year flood in the valley. Mm. Okay. And I, I don't know if you know anything about this, but uh, I think we, we lost 17 people that died in that flood. Oh, no. In addition to that, the whole golf course that the tour event held on was completely ruined. Wow. I mean, we already had the grandstand set up for the event. Everything got washed away. Wow. Everything's gone. Uh. So the first thing we had to do was we had to cancel uh, our tour event. And you can only imagine financially what kind of a burden that placed on the Greenbrier. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was horrific. And not to take anything away from the real horror, which was the people who lost their homes and the people who lost their loved ones. Mm -hmm. So – you know, my skin, my, my skin in the game is nothing compared to them. So I certainly don't want to elude that, uh, that, you know, that was that bad. But Jim was committed to the PGA Tour, committed to the people. As a matter of fact, Jim opened the hotel up, and people lived here for free and ate here for free for weeks after the flood. Wow. Um, and, 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 of course, that meant no income to us, okay? Right. So we're spending money to help these people. But we're not bringing any money in. Right. Okay. Right. And even once they left the hotel, the golf course was ruined. Yeah. So Jim said, okay, we've got to start repairing the golf course immediately because if we don't, we won't be ready for next year's PGA Tour. Event. Yeah. We got nothing without okay. the golf course. It, it, exactly. So Jim invested, and in, I'm going to use round numbers. So, you know, don't hold me to this, but I know they're close. Okay. He spent $118 million out of his own pocket. Wow. All right. To start the process and get this done. 
And the insurance company that, that we have that insured the, uh, the grounds and the event have been very slow to pay back. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Aren't and, they always? And, and, and you know that's. Yeah. You know that's normal. I mean, I'm not trying to beat the insurance company up. I'm just, I'm just saying this is where we are. Yeah. We come around to this year, and uh, money is tight. Okay, Mr. Justice, I don't care how much money you have. You're a billionaire. You take 118 million out of your pocket. It's a lot of money. Huge amount of money. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. So we all got together and said, you know, Wayne, if we, if we put this event on. Uh, in, in September of 17, we're not going to be ready the way the Greenbrier expects to be ready for an event. Yeah, right. And that's when we moved it to May. So I know that's a long story, and I apologize, but it, it, it tells you that, yes, we were on the fast track to do a major event and do it in record time, but you know the flood got in the way. Uh, we're not going to use it as an excuse, but we did have to re- readjust our time frame. Right. And... Um, and now the new event schedule is for May 4th through the 6th of next year. So anyway, just wanted to give you that background. That is quite a background. Well, uh, no doubt that when the the actual event takes place next May, uh, it's going to be spectacular. And uh, just uh, the sorrows that came with disasters like that. And, of course, we're experiencing that with this hurricane that just blew through Florida and what Texas dealt with and the fires. I mean, it's just been one heck of a year for so many people, a huge, huge challenge. But I wish you guys the best success in what we're going to do here at Cars Jazz. Of course, as that event nears next year, we'll have a lot of your sponsors here on the show to help promote them and uh, try to help you guys uh, gain more attention for this spectacular event. How about a proudest of business or career moment? Is there one that really stands out for you? Well, there is. I mean, you know, as far as the engineering world, just graduating with an engineering degree when you're, you know, kind of a lost motorcycle car guy, I, <laughs> I found that uh, very difficult to do for me. Yeah. I know some people it's not, but for me, it was a real challenge. And uh, uh, so that was certainly a big deal. And then second was the day that Mr. Justice called me on the phone. I, I guess I should call him Jim. Well, yeah, your buddy's with him now. <laughs> you know, said, hey, you know, we want to do this. Yes. Um, Jim ran for governor, uh, and he won the race. I was uh, invited to be here for election night, uh, so I was. And the next morning, we were getting ready to leave, and, and – uh, Coach Nealon called me and said, hey, he says, we got to hang around for a while. Uh, Jim just called me and asked me if we would join him for breakfast. Oh, nice. And I thought, holy cow, how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is the new governor. Yeah. And he's going to have breakfast with five people. And now I'm one of them. You're one of them. Wow. <laughs> you know, and we chatted and, and had a nice personal conversation. And I, I just thought to myself, this is why he's successful. Yes. Is because he involves everybody in what he's doing. And he's not afraid to have it be somebody else's ideas. All he wants, and and it's a simple one, um, is for West Virginia to be seen in a positive way. Of course. And and growing up in West Virginia, I share that. I'm a faculty brat. Both of my parents taught at university. And I know a lot of people uh, don't know much about West Virginia. And I thought, what a great opportunity to bring the world to White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. There you go. To let them see the history. You know, I think it's 20 presidents summered at the Greenbrier in the early years. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. Um, you know, when, when it was before air conditioning, 
Washington, D.C. got blisteringly hot in the summer, okay? Mm-hmm. And you couldn't stand to be inside. So presidents would come to the Greenbrier, uh, and I, I apologize, I think it's the first, like, 10, not 20, but they would actually run the White House on the grounds of the Greenbrier because it was cooler and they could take to the spring water. Wow. So this is a really cool place. Yeah. I want to share it with the world. People have been taking to the water since 1778. You know, the country was a, a whopping two years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I really want to share that with everybody. So uh, my proudest moment would be when Jim called me and said, let's do this. I mean, I, I can't think of anything uh, uh, more compelling to me than being able to share these beautiful grounds uh, with the, the car world. Yeah. Uh, I hope people find it within their time and their hearts to come and visit us and, and see what we have. And uh, I think they'll agree with me that this is just an unbelievable venue for what will be an unbelievable event. Certainly sounds like it for sure. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time and talk about your first really special car and maybe share a memory you have about that vehicle. Well, that one's pretty easy. Of course, I was always a sports car guy. Uh, I couldn't fathom owning a Ferrari or anything like that because my dad was a school teacher, and I certainly didn't have that kind of money. So one day I was in the local grocery, little place called Harry Superette, and it was a Friday. I, I never forget this because this is really bizarre. And I happened to pick up the Pittsburgh Press, the Friday edition, not the Sunday edition. And I went home and I was looking through the cars in the the press, which I often did on Sunday, but rarely on a Friday. And I saw this little 68 Porsche 912 Targa. And so when, when my dad got home from work, I talked to him about this car. And I said, this sounds really neat. And it's, you know, I think it was $5,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. So dad, uh, very surprisingly, you know, I agree with you. That, that might be something we should go look at. So I called the guy and found out where it was and, uh, that Saturday morning, we got in the car, we drove to look at the car, and we shook hands and said, we'll take it. Now, we didn't have $5,000 in our pocket. You know what I mean? This is an, I wasn't a car guy then. I mean, a, a dealer. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. But we shook hands with the guy and told him that we'd take it and that we'd be back on Monday with the money. He said, okay. Well, Sunday came, and that car was in the Pittsburgh Press Sunday edition. Well, you can only imagine how many people called that guy. <laughs> sure. The phone's ringing off the hook. He calls me and says, hey, I've got people you know, begging me for this car. You have to confirm that, you know. Yeah, you're really going to buy it. <laughs> and I said, absolutely. I'll be there tomorrow. Please don't sell it to somebody else. We shook hands. Right. He said, I gave you my word, and, and, and we did. So anyway, we went. We bought the car. Turned out that uh, Rick Mellon from the Mellon Bank family in Pittsburgh uh, was the original owner of the car. When he graduated high school, that was what he got as a graduation present. Very wealthy family. Yes. But smart. Yeah. A 912, not a 911. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, kudos to the to the father who said, yeah, you can have a cool car, but it's not going to be fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he went to school at, uh, at uh, uh, Florida State in Tallahassee, took the car with him. Uh, once he graduated, he left, uh, flew out of town and, and left the car. Uh, later called a buddy and said, please put it up on uh, blocks and put it in storage. I'll get to it when I can. Well, that didn't happen for another five years. The mm. car sat there. Um, this gentleman was able to buy the car 
Um, the car absolutely looked like new when I got it, with the exception of huge rust holes in certain spots. Mm. And I'm telling you, the paint was beautiful, the interior was beautiful, but it had big rust holes. Wow. And I think that must be from, you know, spending some time at the beach and then sitting without being washed for five years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It just rusted out. Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, we bought the car, we got it home uh, the next day without telling my father, I made a list of all the parts that we needed and I drove to Yanko Porsche in, uh, just south of Bridgeville, I can uh, Cannonsburg, I'm sorry. Okay. In Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, I drove to Yanko Porsche, walked in, introduced myself. I'm a kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. I introduced myself to Frank, the parts manager, told Frank what I wanted to do. And he said, well, if you order me, if you order all this stuff at one time, he says, I'll give you the same discount I give body shops. Ah, nice. And it was, tw- it was 25%. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a big discount. So uh, I ordered all the, I ordered new fenders. I ordered all kinds of stuff, including a factory soft window from Porsche, not mm-hmm. an aftermarket version. You know, I even, I even ordered the cover that, that goes over the top when it's down, everything. And uh, we started my first restoration. So, you know, what was my first special car, that 912 soft window target? And it was also my first restoration. It was two things in one. There you really go. Cool. <laughs> Double dipping. Jumping in the deep end, as they say. Well, how about sellers from Morris? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish you had back? Well, you know, that is a difficult question. Uh, because I was never a wealthy person, um, I could never keep a car and still buy my next car. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I typically didn't have remorse because it was always a path to the future. Sure. And, you know, would I love to have the 912 back? You bet. 912 soft window target. I'd love to have it. But I sold that and I, I got my Audi Coupe GT and then I sold that and I bought my Porsche 928. So, no, not really. No, 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 no seller's remorse and, and really no buyer's remorse. I, I never bought a car that I just thought, oh, man, what did I do that for? So uh, <laughs> lucky guy, lucky guy, or a very wise guy, I guess would be the way to a smart man, I should say, saying calling you a wise guy would be the wrong way to put that. So, oh, gosh, well, let's talk about today and tomorrow, what you're working on right now. You talked about the Green Buyer, the Concord, which, of course, is coming up, which may next May with that we all should be looking forward to. But is there anything else you're working on right now that has you really excited and fired up? Well, uh, I haven't started the process, but when I was a, uh, a two year old, 1961, my father uh, bought a 328 Berkeley. Now, uh, in England, it would be pronounced Berkeley. So mm-hmm. depending on, on the pronunciation, the little two-cycle, front-wheel drive, chain-driven sports car that looks like a Cobra. So my dad bought one. On the way home, the engine blew up. Uh-oh. This is the day he bought it. Okay? Yeah. The car got pushed in the back of the garage. Uh, my dad, who never spent money on himself, I think was very um, dissatisfied with himself, you know, that he'd spent this money and he wasn't going to put any more good money after bad money, pushed it in the back of the garage and there it sat with 3,200 miles on it. Mm. Okay. Well, that car's still sitting in the back of the garage at my mother's house. Oh, my gosh. And my mother's 87 years old now. Uh-huh. My father's passed. And so uh, I want to restore that car. As you know, the micro car uh, uh, world is really hot right now. Yeah. And uh, I would love to restore that car to uh, Concord condition 
and show it on the show circuit. Uh, it's not necessarily a car I have to keep for the rest of my life, but I want Dad to know that you know he made a good decision. The car is beautiful, yeah. and I'd like to share it with other people. How fun. Well, when you get that car going and done, keep in touch with me. Send me pictures. I'd love to see how the process is going. Very interesting. That's a car that you don't see many of those around. So very, very yeah. unique vehicle. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Wayne. If you were a car, what kind of car would Wayne be and why? <laughs> well, again, you might think Ferrari. You might think you know, I grew up with Triumphs and all that. But I have to go back to um, my sense of adventure. Um, so if I was a car, I think I'd be I'd be a Land Rover. All right. Cool. You know, my favorite car as a child, my favorite Matchbox car was the little green Land Rover with the luggage on top. Yep. And uh, uh, still today, I, I, I feel that sense of adventure. Uh, I will have to say that Land Rovers moved on and they're more of a luxury brand today than they are a rugged brand. Right. Uh, but I've owned many of them and uh, I still love the brand. And I still would, uh, still love what it represented when we were young, which was that, you know, there's nowhere you can't go and you should get out and see the world. I like that. Very nicely thought through. Great. Well, Wayne, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right. 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Wayne, we are back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Easy, simple. From my father, uh, I wanted to buy a Porsche. I knew that that was a stretch. I expected him completely to be negative when I talked to him about it. And instead, he gave me an answer that was incredible. He said, well, son, he goes, I think you should buy this Porsche. And he says, I'm going to tell you why. He said, it's for a normal, everyday guy, 
there's only two times in their lives when they can splurge on themselves. One is before they have any uh, responsibilities, no wife, no kids. Uh, you're in that stage right now. He said, and the second time is when you retire and all your kids have already been to college and everything's done. And he said, son, he said, retirement's a long way away for you. <laughs> yeah. He said, so I recommend that you you do it. And I couldn't believe it. So uh, wow. I shared that with other people. You know, I mean, the car hobby is full of, of people of all financial realms. Right. But most of us in the middle, you know. Yeah. And if you're in the middle, that, that statement really resonates. Ah, wise man, your father, for sure. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your successes over the years? Um, that would be to pick a path. You know, when you look at how you want to go somewhere, there's typically three or four or five ways to do it. And a lot of people get hung up in making sure they pick the best path. Mm -hmm. What I've learned is just pick a path and keep moving. Because if you don't, you're never going to get where you want to go. Ah, absolutely. Don't get stalled out. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of great resources these days, but is there one you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. You know, people. Ah, <laughs> how yes. How old-fashioned. You know, how old-fashioned is that? Yep. Surround yourself with people who know what you want to know and that are, are nice. Yes. And that's an important part, too. Not just knowledgeable, but nice people. Great advice. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field or industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Well, uh, if I were to pick one, it would be uh, it would be Jimmy Clark. If if I was to pick three, uh, I would go with Roger DeCoster from motocross fame, John Sirtis from motorcycle and car racing fame, and Jimmy Clark. Those are the three I'd like to sit down and really pick their brains. Yes. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, what a cup of tea that would be. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read recently or in the past that you think our listeners would enjoy? You know, most people are going to come up with a philosophic answer, some great <laughs> book that's going to, you know, change your life. Uh, this one didn't change my life, but it really meant a lot to me. Uh, I'd recommend Winston Goodfellow's book, uh, Issa Revolta, the Men in the Machines. Uh, it's a great read. Yes. Uh, not not just about the Revolta family and the ESO cars, but about history. Um, there's some things that, that happened in that book during the war that I found really compelling and how he made his way through the war without losing everything. So yeah. um, really think a lot of uh, Piero uh, Revolta and uh, his father, Renzo, um, and this book really sheds a lot of light to them. You know, it is a great book. Winston Goodfellow has been a guest here on Cars, yeah, and we spoke about that book. It sits on my library shelf. It is a fascinating book, and I do love that aspect of it, the history, which are things that you never even knew behind the scenes. We look at some of these car manufacturers and people in the car worlds as their successes, but we have no idea what they went through to get there. So I agree with you. That is a fantastic book. Well, listeners, you can find all these great resources that Wayne has shared today on his Cars, yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Wayne Long and that page will pop up with links to everything he shared plus this great book. I've set it up so all you have to do is click and you can buy it. Very cool. All right, Wayne, we're up to the checkered flag and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world, but you got to keep it. you got to enjoy it. You can't flip it and buy a bunch of other toys since you're a dealer. I know that goes through your head, but you got to hang on to this thing, but I want you to enjoy it. But remember, money's not the issue. It's all about the car and the passion. What would that car be and why? 
Well, it would have to be an 05 or 06 Ford GT. And the reason for that is because it's so simplistic. Um, I, I had a childhood friend who got one of the 05s when they were first coming out, and he was kind enough to let me drive it. Uh, I remember at the time thinking, wow, you know, this is the best combination of old school and new school that I've seen. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, Pebble Beach, I spent time in one again, uh, going down to Big Sur. So if I was going to live with the car, mm-hmm. it would be a Ford GT. It's easy to drive. It's fast. And I find it absolutely beautiful. Oh, yes. You know, I had Camilo Pardo, who's the designer of that car, as a guest on the show not too long ago. And I got to spend a little bit of time with him during Car Week down in Pebble Beach. I ran into him at the Quail. And we sit down and spoke, and Ken Okiyama, another designer, the guy that designed the Enzo Ferrari, happened to sit down with us. And you talk about finding yourself in a position where you go, how did I get here? I'm sitting with Ken on one side and Camilo on the other, and they're talking about design. I'm going, this is so cool. Oh, man. And then, and then I got to give him a ride over to the exotic car show at Cannery Road, and we got to spend some time in the car because the traffic was horrific. And I, too, have got to have had the pleasure of driving a Ford GT, the 06 model. And you're right. Uh, that car is a combination of everything cool, old, all wrapped up into a nice package. So I would love to buy you one of those cars. What uh, color livery would you like yours to be? Well, I'm always torn, you know, white with the blue stripes from Matchbox theme. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the Gulf livery. Either oh, yeah. one of those, I'll be completely happy. Okay. <laughs> I'll get to work on that. Well, Wayne. You have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off down the coast highway in that Ford GT? You bet. That would be to live life. Don't sit on the sidelines. Whatever you're passionate about, dive in. Go be with those people. Go be where the events are and take in as much as you can because life is short and it's going to be over quick. So get what you can when you can. Absolutely. Now, what's the best way for listeners to follow along and learn more about you and, of course, about the Greenbrier Concord that's coming up next May? Well, the best way is just to on the website, you know, midatlanticsportscars.com and, and greenbrierconcours.com. With that, they can get any information. Reach out. Call me if you have a question. I'm always available. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Wayne has shared on the Cars yeah website on his show notes page. Just go to CarsYad.com, type in Wayne or Wayne Long, and that page will pop up. And I would encourage you to think ahead towards May next year. Greenbuyer Concord, that is a cool event that you should attend. And going to the inaugural event would be even more special. Walk up and say hi to Wayne. Wayne, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the time and, and sharing uh, with with everybody else. Uh, I, I hope that uh, they can come and visit us at the Greenbrier, and I look forward to meeting as many of you as I can. Absolutely. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. 
With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.